Reading Corner today. I'm thrilled to be welcoming brothers Tom and Rob Sears, and we're going to be talking about, I think, what we could call a graphic novel, um, which is a book about the climate crisis, uh, but it's also an incredibly funny book. Now, from what I understand, Rob has a background in writing and once wrote, I enjoy writing irreverently about things that scare me. So, uh, Rob, I wonder if I could just welcome you into the Reading Corner first and ask you, what things have you written about irreverently that scare you? <laughs> well, I, I've written about um, strongman world, world leaders. Um, so I wrote a book called The Beautiful Poetry of Donald Trump and a book called Vladimir Putin, Life Coach. Uh, which were kind of kind of humour books, but ones that uh, were about, about subjects that I felt really strongly about and, and very worried about. But I, I don't think I had it in me to write serious books about them. No. Uh, I wanted to treat it irreverently. Um, with the environment, which is probably the scariest subject of all, um, we felt it was an interesting thing to do to try to not write in a doomy way, uh, but to do it in a, a lighter way, maybe a more accessible way for, for a wider audience. Excellent. And we can explore that in more depth as we go along. And Tom, you've got a background in illustration and animation. And from what I understand, you've been uh, involved in producing things like immersive exhibits at London Zoo. And I could immediately see a connection between that and this book. Is it an obvious connection? Yeah, I think it is. I spent um, 11 years working for the Zoological Society of London the conservation organisation that runs London Zoo. And while I was there, my main job was not so much illustration, although I did try to sneak in a few drawings into um, exhibitions where I could, but to concept, write and produce exhibition signage. And I spent a lot of time trying to make comparisons that the average visitors could relate to in order to better understand um, wild animals and their their sizes and their weights and their populations and I think doing that for so long it really got me in the mood for um, smushing things together and trying to um, uh, visualize the entire human race. And I, that that is the sort of connection that I could see uh, between the two and I'm interested to know if this is your first joint project or have you worked together before? Yeah, one other book that we've worked together on was um, Rob's Vladimir Putin Life Coach, which I illustrated. But apart from that, we've worked on dozens of things together, ranging from scripts for screenplays and uh, cartoon strips and some some projects with more success than others. One of the first things that we remember collaborating on was a, a short film called The Newts and I, which we filmed in our back garden in Chelmsford, Essex, and was about an old man who was um, obsessed with the newts in his pond. I was probably about 10, mm. and Tom was, Tom was eight. So you've worked together on these uh, projects uh, uh, before, and perhaps, Rob, you could tell us a little bit about how this project, The Biggest Footprint, came about, because it seems very cohesive, very unified as a work of art. Well, it all comes from a central concept, which we're calling, calling smushing. And we, we came up with this thought experiment. What if instead of 8 billion of us individuals, there was just one massive mega human smushed together from all of our mass? 
how big would we be? What would, we, what would we be like? What would our character be? What mischief would we get up to? And initially, we just thought that was a fun thing to think about and talk about. But we sort of realized that the character of the megahuman was a good way to tell the story of how all of our actions are affecting the planet and how maybe all of our actions combined us coming together can help to fix some of the some of the problems too so i think it's because we we have this one core idea of smooshing that runs through the entire book um that it, it hopefully feels like it's a, a united whole and the first thing that's is smooshed is all of the human life on earth and out of uh, the professor's smooshing machine comes this great big blue giant mega human how quickly did the form that the mega human takes come to you, Tom? And, and was it always blue or was there some playing around to arrive at something that felt right? There was a lot of playing around. Um, I, for all of the pictures in the book, really, I did hundreds of versions. I think to some extent, the first sketches that I did ended up being kind of what the, the finished mega human looks like. Um, and part of the inspiration was Play-Doh because obviously the smushing machine is, is not unlike one of those Play-Doh factories where you put Play-Doh in and, and turn the handle and out comes a sort of a tube of reformed Play-Doh, which is a, a bit macabre. And it's best not to think too much about the, <laughs> about the actual details of smushing. But so to that end... I drew the mega human a, a little bit like morph, but with a, a shaggy haircut. And what about the colour blue? I know that seems really particular, me asking you that, but was that no, just by of, chance? Lots of discussion about that because we actually we did work out the average Pantone colour of, of human skin with the thinking that maybe this could illustrate the, the average appearance of, the, of, a, of a kind of intermediate human but the problem is that it gave us a particular race rather than an average race and it, it made it seem as if the mega human was from a particular place so we felt that in the, in the same way that the simpsons achieves a kind of universality by going with yellow across the board um we, we went with blue blue is also um visually quite useful because it stands out against the the natural backdrops and the other wild animals in the book that's interesting. It felt quite mythic in lots of ways, especially when we later meet this kind of ghost of all the humans that are past. Yeah, mythic is good. And I suppose we also wanted to, um, we like the idea of the mega human being a bit galumphing and clumsy, partly because it works well with the humour in the book. And, and it's also part of the message that we're a bit confused, really. Now, there were lots of moments in this book which made me sort of have an intake of breath. But I've listened to a lot of more or less, you know, the statistics programme on Radio 4, um, including the one about the computation of how much strawberry jam needs to be available on the supermarket shelves to make sure that supply isn't compromised during a pandemic. So I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the numbers, and I wanted to know how we can trust your mathematics. What did you do to check it out? We did a lot of research. Um, I mean, we're dependent on the masses of information that's available from scientists and research bodies all over the world. We've got a massive document full of citations that's going to be in a, a back corner of the, of the website 
for those who are curious enough to check out where all the data originally comes from. And we also try to explain the actually quite simple methodology for smooshing, um, which allows you to work out how big something will be if you smoosh a lot of similarly shaped and proportioned things together into one. So basically, because you're not just extending the height of something when you multiply up its mass, you're also extending the depth and the width. Um, you have to you have to multiply up by what's called the, the volume scale factor instead of the linear scale factor. So mm-hmm. with humans, you, you're multiplying up by not by eight eight billion, but by the cube root of, of eight billion, which is which is the volume scale factor. Uh, and that's why the mega human stands at about three kilometers tall. Now you've said enough to convince me there. I didn't understand a word of it, <laughs> but I am convinced. Our, our objective is just to put up a sort of haze obfuscation around the maths and uh, <laughs> hopefully people will trust us. As we go through the book, there are some moments that, as I say, really took me by surprise. The comparison, for instance, of wildlife compared to domesticated or animals in agriculture, that was quite shocking. I think it's really shocking. Certainly the idea that there are many more chickens in the world by mass than all of the other wild birds put together is um, strange and and sad. Mm. Um, and it was those kinds of shocking facts and statistics that we picked out to turn into illustrated scenes. Another thing that uh, really struck me um, was how you described humans compulsion for digging things up and there's something about that word that kind of reduces it and and makes it sound almost playful like playing in a sandpit and yet it has this unbelievably destructive consequence we tried to show it as a kind of addiction most of us know that we're we're overly dependent on extracting stuff from the from the earth but we carry on doing it anyway which feels like the definition of being addicted to something so that that idea of just ceaselessly digging like a crazy dog almost felt felt like an interesting rather than us being a kind of intelligent eco villain that's terrorizing the earth we thought it was more that we're foolishly doing it against our own better judgment that really comes across i wonder whether we could do something i've done before which it works quite well is to take a specific point in the book and talk about it and why that particular page or spread um, had such an impact on us or why we were really satisfied with it um, as a page. And the one that I wanted to turn my attention to to begin with is where you show a graph and you're comparing the relative size of the uh, mega African elephant with the mega human. And you do that across three time periods, starting with the 1800s, coming up to the present time. And on that graph in the 1800s, we see a human being basically astride an elephant, almost as though they could be riding it. And by the time we get to the present day, just 200 years later, really, we find that the mega human can barely stand on this tiny elephant because the elephant has, the population has shrunk And there's been this vast expansion of the human population. And in just one simple image, you know, that really did take my breath away. (laughs) That's that's good that um, you had that reaction. And then there's a couple of spreads in the book where we show the change in scale over time. And I think that's a really 
important and powerful way, hopefully, of getting across how dramatically the human race has grown and wild animal populations have shrunk just in the last 100, 200 years. So there's another double page spread showing marine life. And on the left hand page, we see the mega human swimming in an ocean in 1900 alongside um, a, a smushed mega blue whale, which is bigger than us back then. So by mass, there was actually more blue whale in the world mm. than there was human. Um, and on the right hand page, we see what it would look like now. And the mega human is now three kilometers tall, taking up more or less the whole depth of this ocean scene. And the, the mega blue whale has shrunk and it starts to look a bit like a, a goldfish or something in comparison to us. Mm. Rob, what did you pick to share? I'll talk about um, aloe. Now, aloe stands for all life on Earth. And that's a, cre- a creature that we've, we've created to show what all life would look like if it were smooshed together into, into one being. Uh, and we've imagined the kind of hybrid creature that's uh, mostly plants, part fungi. Um, there's a bit of bird and animal in, in there as well. Uh, and it's a kind of fantabulous looking creature uh, that's around 70 kilometers tall. Um, and this was taken from a bit, a bit of research um, by some Israeli academics. They published this paper analyzing the distribution of all of life. And that paper showed that um, birds and mammals account for a, a really surprisingly tiny proportion of, of, of life on Earth. 80% of life on Earth by, by mass is, is, is plant. Uh, birds and mammals are just a, just a, a very, very small percentage and humans account for just 0.01% of the total. So even though as a single species, we're very, very big, what we wanted to show with, with, with that particular illustration, um, which has the mega human looking like a, a, a tiny, tiny character down, down in the corner uh, in the shadow of, 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 of aloe, um, is that our place in nature is not so dominant as you might think, even though mm-hmm. our influence on nature has become uh, outsized yeah really important and again that creature that you've created also feels very mythic you know it kind of added to that sense of this story as well we were thinking as we as we wrote about um other famous giants in in in, in stories uh, like the iron man that are partly used to, to kind of suggest man acting like slightly unintelligently at scale um suggesting industry and war and the bad things that people do uh, and i think that's kind of, that was kind of one of the big touchstones for us when we were when we were coming up with ideas how is the mega human different to those giants how is it similar tell me tom a little bit about the kind of ghost of all the humans past in the book the mega human which is all of us smushed together um catches a nasty virus and um, goes into a, a fever dream and we are visited by the, the ghost of all human beings who have lived before us and um, they've been smushed in the same way as the living population and um, there have been 99 billion humans who've lived before us before our 8 billion which means that the um, the mega ghost is eight kilometers tall and again i had a lot of fun drawing this character 
who again is slightly overweight and um, ghostly white and in my head was talking to us a bit like a, an angry New Yorker or something, mm-hmm. uh, like really, really kind of uh, disappointed in how we're looking after the planet today. Mm-hmm. And that was the voice that I had in my head when we were writing the text. And he, he says, what the heck is going on? Uh, I've left you alone for a few generations and you've trashed the place. I mean, one of the questions that it does beg, there are obviously things that we need to do, like stop digging, for instance, uh, to put things right. But incrementally, can this planet sustain this kind of population growth? I mean, that's the question that I'm left with at the end of this book. Well, we're not the we're not the experts on on the idea of overpopulation and whether we we are or or aren't. Um, there's, there's loads of arguments about that. One conclusion that we came to though was that the human race at three kilometers tall is big, but not obviously needing to be a dominant force on the planet when you consider the size of the planet and the, and, the, and three kilometers. You know, you can run three kilometers pretty pretty easily. It doesn't feel like fantastically big um yet the impact that we make is fantastically big um another interesting fact was that um the man-made stuff on earth is is bigger than all of the living things on earth which sort of seems to suggest that it's it's our the way that we live rather than our size itself that is creating problems and putting the world out of balance now it has to be said we sound so serious in this podcast but it's a very funny book and there were quite a lot of laugh out loud moments for me. But you are writing about a serious subject and it never felt that the subject was diminished because of the humour. It always accentuated the point that you were making. I wondered whether there's ever a danger that, you know, getting a good gag in sometimes takes over and you have to pull it back so that you don't lose that message. I can't think of any um, <laughs> gags that we pulled off, off hand. But the, I mean, yeah, that basically is a big dilemma. I do feel that sometimes the way that people write about the environment and probably the way that we've been speaking about it, to be honest, is a bit kind of, let's, this is a serious subject, let's all put on our kind of earnest voices. And it, because there's so much bad news, it can trigger this kind of fear and flight response where you just people just decide I'm not going to engage with that at all. Um, and so I, I think there's a good reason to try to approach it in a in a different, more more lighthearted way. And I think even Extinction Rebellion, for example, has um, managed to start conversations on a slightly different terms than than the big charities had done before. Oh, that's uh, really yeah, really interesting. Tom, do you have any plans to work together on another similar project? Yeah, uh, we definitely hope to come up with a follow-up and we've been throwing around some ideas for that already. And I th- well, we're hoping that this character, the mega human, might come in handy in future years as a sort of symbol of where we're at as a as a species and be a useful sort of shorthand for our potential to do terrible things, but also our potential to hopefully do sort of really, really great stuff as well. Well, it sort of implies, or is a metaphor for working together, isn't it? The fact that we are all smushed together means yeah. that you have to work as one. Yeah, exactly. And we're, we're not um, trying to say that 
every human has equal responsibility for the the problems of the planet. I don't think that's true. We're, the book is more about our massive potential if we mm. all work together. So I've got one last question to ask you. We know there's going to be a website associated with the book. Uh, Rob, could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's uh, it's the biggest footprint doc dot com uh we're putting the finishing touches to it now um it's going to have um kind of author's commentary on on uh how we put the book together and where all the data comes from uh we're hoping it's also going to have some teaching um resources in there as well we do feel that the idea has kind of cross subject interest because there's a mathematical in uh, aspect to it there's a there's an environmental aspect to it um there's biology in there with all of the different species uh, and I can imagine, um, you know, group exercises about how big would your class be if all of you were smooshed together? Would you be as big or bigger than than, than the rock? Uh, so I think there's, there's hopefully there's quite a lot of potential in the concept of smooshing even beyond the, the book itself. Mm. Well, Dino, it's been great talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining me in the reading corner. I look forward to seeing what children in school, how they respond to this um, and their teachers and to seeing what you do next as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.